Well, good morning, Redeemer Church. It is an absolute blessing. Can you hear me okay? Make sure the mic's working. Okay. It's, it's a real blessing to have the opportunity to be here with you all. I, um, I want you to know that uh, Redeemer Church has been like a second church home for me for the last couple of years as it was planted by Eric. And, and Eric and I have become like, best, like pretty close friends. So like, he's one of my best friends. And uh, we, lo- we love the opportunity to be able to get together monthly. And, and so one of the things we do often is pray for our church, Eureka Bible, and then Redeemer Church. And I just want you to know that our church has been often praying for you all. Um, in fact, this Wednesday night with our youth ministry, that we'll be praying for your church. And uh, we, I, we often pray as a family for your church during our family worship times. And so I just want you to know that we often pray for your church. And I also want to thank you for your prayers towards our church. Um, I think most of you know that we had a, bad, a big tragedy in our church in June with a young two-and-a-half-year-old dying in a, in a pool accident. And uh, our church went through a real hard time with all that, and our, our family did too. We were very close to the family that lost this two-and-a-half-year-old. And so we thank you uh, for the opportunity, for, just for the prayers. So we, we really needed that during that time. So thank you for your prayers. And I was supposed to come and preach back in June during that time, but I needed to be with our church family. So I appreciate your patience with that and, and grace with that. And, and I'm really excited for the opportunity to be here with you this morning. Um, to open up the word with you. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to just start by opening up with a word of prayer and praying for your church. So let, let's go to Lord in prayer before we start. Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Lord, this is your house. This is your time. This is your word that we are about to stand on. And Lord, I pray that you allow me to step aside and allow your word to go forward. Lord, I'm thankful for this church that you have planted this church in this community at this time. Lord, thank you for the leadership of this church with Eric and their family and others that are being built up to be leaders in this church. Lord, continue to strengthen uh, this church in this community. Lord, help them to be a light and a witness to your gospel message. Lord, continue to strengthen the people that are a part of this church, the members and those that come to this church and are a part of it, Lord, on a, on a weekly basis. Allow them to come together in unity standing on your word and having great fellowship with one another, being spurred on for the week to go out into this community and the communities they are a part of to bring your gospel message. So Lord, continue to strengthen Pastor Eric as he leads in this church. Lord, help him. Um, I pray that him and his family have had a a restful time on their vacation. And Lord, I pray that they will come back refreshed and ready to, to even more so lead well. Uh, in ministering to this community and, to, and with this church. So, Lord, I, I just am thankful that this church stands on your word. Uh, this church is serious about everybody working together in order to, to do ministry, to bring the, the light of the gospel message this commu- to this community where you've placed this church at this time. So, Lord, continue to, to strengthen Redeemer Church, help them to stay unified with one another, help them to stay tr- strong on truth, Lord, like believing in what your word has to say. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to lead this church into the future, allow there to be growth, not just numerically, but growth spiritually uh, through the different things. Even just all the things I was just hearing be announced, the things that are going to be going on with the parenting class, uh, prayer meeting, women's Bible study, all those things. Lord, strengthen all of those things. Allow those things to stand on your truth and be things that lead people closer to and, and to a deeper relationship with you. Lord, thank you so much for this church. Continue to strengthen it and to lead it into the future. Lord, be with us now as we dig deep into your word, into Psalm chapter 36. Allow it to be something that allows us to, to stick into our hearts 
to where it allows us to be changed, to want to worship you more, to want to trust in you more, and to be dependent on you more. Lord, help us to leave this place today encouraged and challenged to love you more and to love others more. We pray all this in your great and gracious name. Amen. So you know that your pastor is on vacation, and they're in Branson. And so they were in Branson. This summer, our family went on vacation to kind of like what's a sister. It was Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg, like more in the deep south in Tennessee. So we went there. So one of the things I had told the Johnsons what they needed to do on this vacation, I don't know if they got to do it or not, but they were going to go to, they have a Titanic museum there. So we went to the one in Pigeon Forge. There's a Titanic museum. They kind of built like half size of the Titanic ship and you can go in and they have like the, the staircase, like just building the exact dimensions. You can put your hand in the cold water to feel it's like. You can try to turn the boat before it hits the iceberg. You can do all kinds of fun interactive things and learn. You get a card to find out. You have a person on this card. You find all about them as you're going along and you find out if they lived or died at, on the Titanic at the end. Um, so that, it's a really, really cool museum that you can visit while you're there. So we were at the end of our tour and we, they had this gigantic Lego uh, tight, that they built, the Lego Titanic. It was just, it was huge. It was like, I, I don't even know how, money, how many Lego pieces it took, but it was a big old Lego Titanic. And in that, as I was in there, I heard an older man behind me start talking like he's going to give a speech. And I, I'll be honest with you, like, I, we'd been through the museum for a while just trying to wrangle our five kids in there. I, I was about ready to be done, so I was like, I'm just going to take our kids. We're just going to walk out. I didn't want to hear this guy talk. You know, I'm, I'm don't have time for a 20-minute speech. Well, he called our kids over. It's so like, okay, just reluctantly, I just went and listened to him. Well, I'm really glad that I did. So this, this gentleman uh, has actually played Captain Smith from the Titanic in shows and movies. because he, I mean, he's kind of older now, but back then he kind of looked like him. Um, so he played him. And also, he told the story to our kids about 22 years ago. He had the opportunity to go down on a submarine to the site of the Titanic to help to pick out some different things that they were going to try to pull off that they needed, like a first-class window they've never found, other things like that. So he went down there. It was a really cool experience he had. So he had this little coin that he had a piece of the Titanic, and every kid could hold it. Um, maybe afterwards I could show you a picture, but he had a coin and had a piece of the Titanic inside that coin, and every one of our kids got to take a picture of holding it, which that was a really cool experience for them. But then I, I was like, that was, that was really cool. But then he tells a second story, which is the story of the pastor, one of the pastors that was on board the Titanic. And this pastor um, ended up giving up his life jacket. So some other people, he, twice he get, was given a life jacket, twice he gave it to a, somebody else so they could go on the boat. He was just going to stay on there. And as he was going, he was going around and sharing the gospel with people. If you died tonight, where do you think you would go? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Like he was going around and sharing the gospel. And there's been four or five survivors that can verify that he, he shared the gospel with them. And so it's just a really cool story. Well, so he, he mentioned Moody Bible Institute, which is where I went to college. And he mentioned that when, I, when he was talking. I kind of looked over at my wife. So he called me over afterwards, and he told me that he had gone to Moody Bible Institute. I mean, he's, he's, he was joking to me a lot earlier than you did because he was a lot older than I am. Uh, but he went there. And so what he had told me was is that I use this 20 minutes every speech I give to, to share the gospel with people. He shares it. He said, I've had greatest experiences of my life to, to meet Billy Graham, to, to do like these dinner shows that, where he talks about the Titanic, playing Captain Smith and doing things, going on a submarine down there. He went down there, but he said, these 20 minutes every day are the most important minutes of my life because I've, I've had the tre I have this treasure of these pieces of Titanic I pulled out of there 
but the most treasured thing to me is my relationship with Jesus. And I use this time in, in, on my, my speeches in Titanic to share the gospel with people. So he asked me, to, I prayed with him right there because he wanted me to pray with him. I knew he knew I was a pastor. And he shared with me how much the steadfast love and the, the treasured possession of the gospel that he had was the thing that mattered him the most. All those life experiences, all those things, his 20 minutes of that speech, what he was trying to do is share the gospel with people as they walk through that museum in Pigeon Forge. And he used to work at the one in Branson as well. So how powerful a story is that? I, all my kids on vacation, they said their number one moment was meeting that guy, and getting to do that, and getting to hear his story. My son Michael, who's four, almost 14, was talking about how he heard about the gospel, him talking about the gospel and just thought it was so powerful. What it, what it, it was a great moment for our family on vacation. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 36, and we see this treasured possession that we have in the steadfast love of God. That, that is what we were talk, what I was just talking about with the, the man from the Titanic Museum. He, he mentioned how much that above all the other treasured things of his life, the thing that mattered most was the steadfast love of God in his life. So we'll be in Psalm chapter 36 as we continue in looking at some psalms that Eric is, Pastor Eric is attempting to help us to see that kind of that bridge, that gap between Genesis where you studied before and where you're going now to the Gospel of John. So Psalm 36 is kind of towards the end of the first book of the Psalter. So the, 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 the Psalms have five books within the 150 of them. And so this is at the end of the first one. Uh, this is a long string of, of Psalms that are written by David. Um, this one is sandwiched in between the covering of the greatness of God in Psalm 34, 35-ish. And then in Psalm 37, 38, you would see also some talking about the protection of the, of God, the God we serve. So we find in between this morning the greatest treasure of all, which is God's covenant love, or as I would like to call it this morning, his loving kindness towards us, his loving kindness. But I think we all know that the truth of the matter is if we're going to talk about God's steadfast love, we've got to talk about his gospel message, we have to understand why do we need that. And so David reminds us here in this psalm why we need it. So let's start by reading there. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read the entirety of the psalm just so you can get a feel of, of the whole thing. So if you would follow along with me, we're in Psalm 36. We'll go ahead and read all 12 verses. The word of God reads, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, he has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O oh, oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, for the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So you see there here in the opening that and this is something you probably saw a lot when you were studying through the, the idea of Genesis, that there's always this idea of good and evil going back and forth. There's this tension happening. 
We, we see at the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth and everything was made that was good. All things that God made were good. But then in chapter 3, we see sin enter. The, the evil is there. Satan has tempted Eve and then, tempt, and then Eve gives the apple to Adam and they sin. And sin is entered. There's that idea of good and evil, that tension from then on, back and forth. I mean, many of you could probably think of all the different like books, famous storylines and movie lines where there's that tension between good and evil, right? So maybe, it's, maybe you're a Lord of the Rings fan and you think of Sauron and the, the ring versus the fellowship, like the, the fellowship of the ring, the people like Frodo and, and all the rest of them, Sam and, and all of them as they fight against the ring and try to get rid of the ring. Or maybe you are a fan of Narnia and you think of the white witch going against Aslan and the, the kings, the, the kids that become kings. There's lots of stories you could think of that are movies or books where there's that, that tension between good and evil. And that's what we begin with here because right when we think of the gospel message, we can't have the gospel message by, without understanding who we were or who we are before we know Christ, before we have that relationship with God. And so in verses 1 through 4 there, God through his word, through the writing of David, reminds us of who we are before we know God, before we are saved in a relationship with Jesus. Read there in verse 1, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. That sin is deeply rooted in there. It's, a, it's one of the characteristics, deep characteristics of a, a non-Christian, a person that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, that doesn't know God, is that the transgression is deep in their heart. It says there at the end, in the second part of verse 1, there is no fear of God before his eyes. There is no care about what the consequences of these sins that they're, going, that they're doing. That, they're, that transgression is deep in their heart and they don't even care. They, don't, they look in their eyes, they don't even see around them that what they're doing is wrong and it's causing damage. There is no fear of God. And that harkens back to Proverbs 1-7, right? What is the beginning of knowledge? It is the fear of the Lord, right? So these people are rejecting the greatest knowledge they could receive, which is the fear of the Lord. It's before their eyes and they just reject it. There is no fear of God. Verse 2, you see the pride of man, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. He puts on this big show and talks about himself and makes it all about him or her. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out. Like his sin is being covered over because on the surface it looks like everything is good, right? He's doing what he thinks he needs to be doing. He makes it all about himself. He's making, puffing himself up and making a big show that you can't even notice all what's going on underneath the surface and the sin and the damage that it is causing. So the pridefulness is another characteristic trait of a person that doesn't follow God. Again, our mouths, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He, ceases to, he has ceased to act wisely and to do good. There's a deep sin rooted in his life that is coming out in his speech. It's showing by his actions. I mean, basically what you're seeing here is the characteristics of a person that's a non-believer, a person that doesn't follow Jesus, that doesn't have a relationship with God. There's pride, the words of their mouth, the deepness of the root in their heart. They don't fear God. Lastly, in verse 4, he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. So not only is he, he or she doing these sins 
He's plotting them. He's trying to. He's building a plan to sin. That's how deeply rooted it is. So it's a reminder to us today that the wickedness of man is there. That there's a reason why we are separated from God. It's not because we don't deserve it. It's not because we haven't done anything. It's because we have done all of these things. The sin's root in our heart. It comes out of our mouth. It's the pride of our life. We, we do all of these things, and that's why we are separated from God, and that's why we deserve judgment. So we cannot start by talking about God's precious, steadfast love without looking at the fact of why we need it. And David reminds us of that today. And one of the things I think is implied by this passage is the fact that wickedness is always exposed. I mean, think about all the stories that I mentioned or the movies you've seen with the the tension between good and evil. The evil, the sinfulness, the stuff, it's always being exposed. You see it, it comes out. There's no way for us forever to hide our wickedness and our evil and our sin. It will be exposed. And one of the things I think we need to also recognize about reading this passage is that when we see the wickedness and the evil and the sinful, all the stuff that's just going on in the world around us, we, we see it. it. It angers us. It makes us upset. One of the first things that I think that we as Christians should tend to do more of is understand that this is who they are. And so because that's who they we are, we are, what we should start with is pity and compassion for people that struggle with these things, not anger and judgment. We should start with pity and compassion because what do these people need? What we're about to talk about, which is the steadfast love of God. Their wickedness is going to be exposed in this life or the next. If they die living in their wickedness, they're going to face judgment. So what's the best thing for us to do as Christians in response? Is to show pity and compassion and share the steadfast love of Christ with them because they need that more than anything. I think sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up in what we see in the world around us and think, how could people be so dumb? How could people do these things? But let me remind you that before Christ, that was you. That was who you were. Maybe even if you, even if you came to know Christ as a, at a young age, there still was a time where you didn't know him, where you deserved, and we're, we're going to receive the same judgment that they will receive. So let us come to people that are struggling in these ways, these things that we see in the world around us, the people we see at our jobs, in our schools, and the people that we see around us that are struggling with these things. Let's come with pity and compassion and share the gospel with them because that's what they need most. But again, if we want to understand why we need the steadfast love of God, those are, the things, those are the reasons why. Because this is who we were. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need a relationship with God. Because we've done all of these things and we cannot receive grace and mercy without faith in Jesus. That's the only way we can get it. So let's, let's look on to the second part of this passage, which is the steadfast love. The eternal loving kindness of God. Can you think of a time in your life when you've really felt God's loving kindness? Maybe it's been in a time of deep suffering and pain. Maybe it's been when you've seen somebody come to know Christ that you've shared with over and over again and prayed for for many years. Maybe it's been in a time of loneliness where you just have been uh, separated from other believers or just separated in life. Maybe you just have felt really lonely. I can tell you that I've never, not very many times in my life, have I ever felt more the loving kindness of God than what we went through at our church about three months ago. The, the deep suffering and the pain that we felt, but just God's loving kindness wrapping his arms around us as we went through that time. 
uh, times of hurt and pain and anger, just feeling that, but the Lord was there in a, in a mighty way during that time. And I felt, I felt it in times of loneliness. I've told it, felt it in great times, too, in moments where I just am struggling and I'm doing ministry with students and doing those things where God has, I just really felt his presence. I felt him there working with me. So today, as we think about the steadfast love, maybe you're thinking about a specific situation right now that you're going through, what you've been in your life, but re- be reminded that the Lord is always there with you. His everlasting loving kindness is always there. So looking in verse 5, what does he say? Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Look at the depth of God's love. There is not a single place that his faithful love does not reach. Every place in your life and in the world, he, his love reaches. Above the heavens, below the earth, God's love spreads. Now, one of the things that we struggle with sometimes is we don't always feel it, right? We talk about emotions, like the feeling of it. And there are going to be there are going to be times when you don't feel it. You don't feel like God's there. You don't feel like his loving kindness is stretching around you. But one of the things I think that Max Lucator reminds us of is that he says, you can endure change even in the worst kind by pondering his permanence. Think about that. His permanence. His he is standing here as a rock-solid foundation. He's not being moved. He doesn't change. So we need to latch to that. We need to get to that. Because that type of love, that steadfast love cannot be moved. So whatever you're going through this morning, whatever you're feeling, even if you're not feeling that steadfast love in a, in a deep way right now, latch to him. Relate to him. Spend time with him. Have that deep relationship with Jesus that it will allow you to be able to be reminded of his eternal loving kindness in your life. We often, I think, have a narrow view of God's love. We think we have an idea of what it should, like, should look like, what it should be. But his love is perfect beyond our understanding in any way that we could understand it. He's, it's beyond it. We, can, we, he, we cannot even fathom how great his love is that sometimes we don't even re- realize it's there, and sometimes we don't even realize it even in the, in the hardest of times, that he is there. He is always there. The steadfast and faithfulness of God kind of invokes the idea of what we see in, in Exodus 34.6 um, when he's passing through his pe- with his people. The Lord is passing through. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding and steadfast love and faithfulness. As the Lord passed through with his people, he has that same steadfast love and faithfulness with us. Verse 6, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. I think it's really interesting. If you think back to your study in Genesis, at the um, during the Noahic covenant, after he's come off, they've come off the boat and the, the rainbow and everything. In in verse in Genesis nine nine through eleven, it mentions the idea of um, the the beasts of the earth. Let's just go. I'm just going to go ahead and read that to you, so you can have an idea of of what he's saying here. I just want to be clear. Genesis nine nine through eleven. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. 
I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again that shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So it says in, in the very words here, man and beast you save, O Lord. And that is a reminder, looking back to what you studied in Genesis. He preserves man's life as a part of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12.3. And then looking to the, the beast part was what we just read there in Genesis chapter 9. So you see... The scriptures are all coming together. So when you go from Genesis to where you're going to go in John, there's all this stuff working together, right? So the psalmist is telling us, looking back to Abraham, looking back to the, the Noahic covenant, to talk about the fact that man and beast will be saved by God. That God has a special, he has a, obviously the beast is not being saved like the man is, right? It's different. We're image bearers. But there, it's still happening. That, that beasts are still being controlled and being saved just as it would, said it would in Genesis chapter 9. And we also know that Genesis 12, 3, talking about the Abrahamic covenant, moves us to Jeremiah 31, which is what? The new covenant, which is being made with man. That we will be saved, that the Holy Spirit will be put inside of us, that we'll be led in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and what he would do for us in the new covenant. So you see there that there's also this idea of very tangible, steadfast love. Looking in verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. I, I just love that word, precious, the idea of the treasure, the treasure of the loving kindness that God has given us. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Remember how I said the Lord wraps his arms around us. He protects us. He guides us. So you see that there with the shadow of your wings that he wraps around us. And then verse 8, they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. You feel, you're getting that tangibleness of the, of the steadfast love of God. It's, it's the, he, he is giving us a satisfaction of our hunger. He's getting us a satisfaction of our thirst. By the abundance of your house we feast, and by the drink of the river of your delights. In verse 9, for you, with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Isn't it just so, I just have so much gratitude for the way that of so many of these psalms are written that help us to tangibly understand what God is, who God is and what he's telling us. We cannot understand the fullness of who God is, but he gives us these words through the psalmist, through the human writers, he gives us these words that help us to understand who God is and what he's doing for us. So I hope that you're just being able to kind of bask in this, this tangibleness of this understanding of the abundance of the feast and the drink of the river and the fountain of life and the light, the refuge of the shadow of the wings. That is the greatness of the steadfast love of God, what he is doing for us. So you see here that one of the things that we often struggle with as followers of, of Jesus in having a relationship with God is, is our trust and our dependence on God. And that, that is what this passage is calling us in an applied way to what we need to be doing. How do we respond to understanding that this is the steadfast love of God? Is that we need to rely and, and depend on these things because that's not a natural thing for us to do is, is still having sinfulness in our hearts. We want to do it on our own. We want to pull up our bootstraps and we want to do it. We want to make it about us. But I, I think of that great song that maybe sometimes you sing here as a church by City of Light, Yet Not I, But Christ Through Me. 
That's what this is about. We need to depend and trust fully on him because he's the one that puts the shadow of wings and and protects us. He's the one that fulfills our hungers and our thirsts. He's the one that gives us light so that we are able to do these things. His steadfast love is what covers us. So I call you this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ to love God well, and part of doing that is a, a true dependence and trust on him. Stop making it about yourself and stop trying to depend on yourself to get yourself through tough times or even in the good times to not even praise him. Put your trust and dependence on God. We, we need to do that. It's, it's so important that we do that. So what, that, what might that be for you today? What is it that you're not trusting and depending on the Lord in? Is it with your money and your job? Or is it with your, your comfort and safety that you desire to have? Is it in your, in your relationships with people? Some of them may be hard right now, difficult. What is it in your life that it is that you need to put more trust and dependence in God in? Because his steadfast love is, is what we can stand on. A relationship with him means trust and dependence. It doesn't mean that he just gives us what we need. We, he doesn't need anything. We can't offer him anything. He offers us everything. So we need to trust and depend on him. It's not just, and, and it's not just worldly things that will let us down eventually either. It's, it's even good things that we have in our life that we put our trust and dependence in. So let me remind you today that God has given us his steadfast love. We deserved the judgment because of those, what we read in those first four verses. But God has offered us his steadfast love. So let's trust in it. Let's depend on it and let it lead our lives going forward. So two, two passages of Scripture to help set up this last three verses we're going to talk about here. Psalm 125, 1 and 2 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And then also Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, which is where the transition's happening with the passing of Moses going to Joshua, coming to leadership as leading the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. We know this morning from what we've just read about the steadfast love of God, we know that he will not leave us like things and people will do, will let us down. We know that trusting in God provides strength and surrounding like mountains and the, our delights in, in the river and the feast that is, is satisfied. For us that are on the other side of, of the cross, we stand on the faithfulness of God's son, Jesus, who willingly died on the cross and rose on the third day so that we could receive forgiveness from our sins and that we could have salvation. So how do we respond to what we have just read in verses 1 through 4, what we've read in verses 5 through 9? Let's see how David finishes out this psalm. Looking at verse 10. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. David reminds us that we have to keep God's steadfast love in front of our eyes every single day. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day because if we don't, we will forget. We are fickle, we are unfaithful, and we're sinful people still. The sinfulness is still in our hearts. 
So he tells, he asks God, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. God calls us to obedience to his word. He calls us to stand on his truth. He calls us to live underneath his steadfast love. He tells us there, he says, in your righteousness to the upright of heart. To those who know you and have, are upright in heart, continue your steadfast love. Because we always need it, right? We're always going to need the steadfast love. We always need to depend on it. We always need to live with it. We always need it. So don't take the steadfast love of God today and, and make it a, a one-time thing where I hear this, okay, this is good, it makes sense, I'm done with it. It's an everlasting, all-the-time thing. We always need his steadfast love. We always need to depend on it, and we always need it. And David reminds us of that here in this passage. Verse 11, let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. Because one of the things that we can struggle with, right, is if we are being obedient, we're, we have the steadfast love of God, what can we often do? We can get prideful. We can think we're better than other people, and we can make it about us. So he tells us, let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor let the hand of the wicked drive me away. So don't let the steadfast love of God make it to where you become a prideful person. Be humble and be reminded about what God has done for you. You don't deserve it. You, don't, you can't earn it. So it shouldn't give us any reason to be prideful this morning. It should give us every reason to be humble and be thankful and have gratitude all the time for what God has done for us. We often need protection from ourselves, right? Because we get in our own way. Our own sinful hearts, our prideful hearts, even as Christians, can lead us astray. So before we go talking about how other people aren't doing these things and not living out these things, look in your own heart. How do I need to change? How do I need to humble myself and ask for forgiveness of how I am not living the way that I should be and how I'm not being dependent on Christ like I should? But also, we're going to be challenged, as he said there at the end of verse 11, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. He says in verse 12, there the evildoers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise. Because we're going ha- to face opposition. Again, we don't live in a country necessarily or an area where we're going to face major persecution for following Jesus. There are people in the world that are facing that even this morning. But there are going to be times where people are going to, we may lose status, we may lose, lose relationships, we may lose uh, d- different types of things that we would want to have in order to, to stand on the, the truths of the Bible and to live under the steadfast love of God. So we need protection from that, and so he prays for that. Nor let the hand of the wicked drive me away. But he finish, finishes his verse 12 with confidence in God, that these evildoers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise, that judgment will fall, will happen. And I think of the story of in, when Ezra is rebuilding the temple, and they are having trouble in chapter 4 with the people. They're trying to stop the, the, t- the temple from being rebuilt. And what happens? God sends help, and they're able to rebuild through the king. The king stops the, the, the people from bad-mouthing them and stopping the work from happening, and the temple is rebuilt, continue to be rebuilt. Maybe we might face people that come with temptation to us, right? There's certain things that all of us struggle with with sin, And there might be people that come and tempt us with those type of sins. And we need to ask the Lord to remove that from us and to flee from those sins that will come to to try to drive us away from God. And of all people, 
David understands these things, right? David understands all of this passage, all these things we've talked about today, David, of all people, understands, right? He understands that him, him, he got him his own way, right? He committed adultery. He committed murder. He did, he did lots of different things, even beyond those stories that were sinful and wrong. The, when he took the census when he shouldn't have, there was things that he did. He got in his own way. But he also faced outside pressure, right? From Saul at the beginning, from Goliath, from the Philistines to Absalom, his own son, because of his own sin. He faced all of these sins from the inside, from himself, and also from people challenging him from the outside. So of all people, David understands this. And he finishes by giving us confidence in the fact that God is going to do what he is going to do. And he says that their evil do- the evildoers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise. You know why he's able to say that? Because of what he said in verses 5 through 9. God's steadfast love is eternal and forever. He will always be faithful to what he is going to do. He has the best plan for us, and we need to be dependent on that. We can trust in it. So this morning, I think we need to be challenged and and reminded of who we are or who we were before we knew Jesus, before we had a relationship with God. I think we also need to be reminded this morning of the great steadfast love of God that is eternal, eternally faithful to us. And I also think we need to be reminded this morning of how we should respond. I've been reading a book by John MacArthur about the idea of worship, and he tells us that the response to God's steadfast love is always worship. Yes, it is great to have the benefits of being saved, but what God desires most for us is is to be saved, to be worshipers of him. So let us respond today in asking forgiveness where we have not been dependent on the Lord, and let us move forward in the steadfast love of God by worshiping him and showing the world out there that we worship him and we want them to worship him too. Let us, let us go here, here today being reminded of how we can respond to God's eternal loving kindness for us. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to gather with this church family today to, to, to share your word with them. Lord, I pray that anything that I have said that has not been helpful, Lord, that you will allow that to go out of their minds. And Lord, I pray that the things that that your word, that you wanted to hear people to hear from your word today, I pray that they will, it will stick in their hearts and their minds as they go from here today. Lord, I thank you for this church family and how much they love your word, how much they love truth, how much they love the community they're in, and how much they want to, to share your gospel love with others. And I pray that they will be spurred on this morning to, be, to humble themselves and to, to be bold in their sharing of their faith as they walk out of this room today. Lord, we're so beyond grateful for your steadfast love, that you, you spread your wings around us, that you satisfy our thirst and our hunger spiritually, that you, that you really show us light and what truth is. Thank you for those things, Lord. We don't deserve them, but your grace and mercy is great in our lives. Lord, I, I pray that you will help us to remind, be reminded this morning of who we were or who we are without you. Lord, that you will help us to be reminded this morning of how great your steadfast love is in our lives and how we need to be dependent on it. And Lord, that we will learn to worship you. That's our response, Lord. And I pray that we will now respond in worship to you as we finish this service this morning. Thank you again for the opportunity to be sitting under your word together. We pray all these things in your great and gracious name. Amen.